Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Our sermon lesson this morning is from Paul's second letter to the Christians in the Corinthian congregation. It is from the very last chapter of his second letter that our sermon lesson comes this morning. Paul writes, Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All God's people here send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thomas Jefferson was spineless. Now, I get it. I know that's probably not how history will actually remember the third president of the United States, who was the primary author of the Declaration of Independence, who was an icon of individual freedoms, who was the architect of the American Revolution, and who is on Mount Rushmore and has his own memorial. I get it. Most people probably will not remember him as like personally timid or politically kind of soft. Thomas Jefferson was spineless. And I say that, why? Well, I say it because on one hand, Thomas Jefferson wanted to be a follower of Christ. And yet on the other hand, he denied the very essence of who Jesus is. Thomas Jefferson was spineless because of his confession, or really lack thereof. His own words. He said this, When we shall have done away with the incomprehensible jargon of the Trinitarian arithmetic that three are one and one is three, when we shall have knocked down the artificial scaffolding, reared to mask from view the very simple structure of Jesus, when in short, we shall have unlearned everything which has been taught since his day and go back to the pure and simple doctrines he instilled, we shall then be truly and worthily his disciples. Some of you probably know this, Thomas Jefferson took his Bible and he literally cut out every instance where Jesus was referred to as a deity, even where Jesus called himself the Son of God and God incarnate. Jesus, oh, part of the Trinity, cut it out. What Thomas Jefferson is saying right here is that what people did over the years is they took Jesus' teaching and they added in all this Trinitarian stuff. And if we just did away with it, then we would understand who Jesus is. That if we just get rid of the artificial scaffolding around that, then we would really be his disciples. And yet any serious meditation 
on Jesus' words, on his works, they rest on the, well, the backbone of the teaching of the Trinity. Everything that Jesus says about himself or does or claims to be is all based on that idea that he is a triune God. Have you ever thought of it in this way? Maybe you've heard this before, that Jesus is either Lord or a liar or a lunatic, but you can't like mix and match. You can't have a combination of those things. Either Jesus is Lord. He is exactly who he claimed to be, that he is God and God's son, the Messiah. Either he's that or he's lying. He's just making it up. Or this guy's off his rocker. He is a lunatic. So why do I call Thomas Jefferson maybe spineless? Well, he tried to, to tow both lines. He, he was wishy-washy. He's being very political about it, if you will. The idea that you could have Jesus and, and all of the good that comes from him and, and want to be his disciple, but say, hey, he's not the Lord. He's not truly God. Today, we find ourselves celebrating the Holy Trinity. We start our worship series called Holy by meditating on the truth that we have a holy God who throughout scripture from beginning to end proclaims himself to be a three-in-one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That God is the one who created you and he so loved the creation that he made that when we went our own way, he sent his son to redeem you, to suffer and die and rise so that you might be his again, that he is also spirit and the one to give you all of those gifts and, and to make you his own. Well, this is the Holy Spirit who comes and works through the preaching of the gospel. That's what we celebrate here. And, and to put it, the Trinity, it's a big deal. We read it before in the Athanasian Creed that, well, if you don't confess that, you lose it all. If you have a Jesus who is less than Lord, well, you have a less than Savior. And it's all for, for nothing. So here's the question. Are we more Jeffersonian than we'd think? Or do we own the doctrine of the Trinity? Now, I have no real suspicions that any of you are taking your Bibles and doing a little cut and paste work, and that's how you formulate what you believe. But ask yourself, how, how do you assess doctrine, teaching? How do, you, how do you think about the doctrine of the Trinity? Do you think that, well, at the very least, it's kind of, you know, kind of old-fashioned, kind of dry and dusty, that a church and a pastor would, would seriously have us meditate on this for a whole day? Or do you think, at the very worst, that's indoctrination, that doctrine? How do you, how do you think about doctrines, teachings of God's word? Let me say it another way. Do you diminish the words that God had inspired and recorded by the Holy Spirit 
Do you do that with your own dogma, if you will? That, hey, hey, why major in the minors? Like, let's just think about the essentials as though, really? Someone has put you in charge of deciding what is or is not essential from God's word? Do you find yourself saying things like, hey, Jesus is, is loving? Why spend time talking about a doctrine? Let's, let's, just, let's just love. As though we can have our Lord, but not recognize that he said in his final words that we're to teach everything. Not some things, everything that he's commanded us. How do you think about doctrine? Doctrine of the Trinity or, or doctrine in general? Or don't you? Are you, are you more Jeffersonian than you think, where, where on one hand you want to be a follower of Jesus, but on the other hand, though you don't reject it, you just don't care about it. You don't actually take time to learn it, to study it. You're lazy. Jesus Christ, true God and true man, begotten of the Father, from them proceeds the Holy Spirit to bring all of God's salvation to you. It's a big deal. We confessed this just before. Listen to the first lines of the Athanasian Creed, that whoever wishes to be saved must above all else hold to the true Christian faith. Whoever does not keep this faith pure in all points will certainly perish forever. I think it's true. I think it's true that, that there are times where we take for granted God's gift of salvation brought about by the holy triune God. But is it also true that we misunderstand or we underestimate just how impactful on our character, on our day-to-day -day lives are the doctrines that we believe? Do we even think about that? that? That what we believe impacts how we go about our life. Your God... He did not make you someone to be, well, spineless. First Timothy chapter one, note the uh, Trinitarian concept found here. But here's what I want to point out from this passage, that the spirit God gave to you, what he has made you to be as a Christian is not someone who's timid, no, but, but someone who is bold, someone who has power, who has love, and who has self-discipline. That is who your God made you to be. And we're understanding this idea. We're unpacking this idea that what we believe, it actually impacts our character and how we live every single day of our lives. And we're going to look at just one doctrine. Today, the doctrine of the Trinity. Found it in our lesson today. We're just going to zero in on one verse. The last verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 13. The last verse of this letter. It's actually a blessing. A blessing that all of God's gifts are yours in the triune God. 
grace from Jesus Christ, love from God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. How is it that these things don't make us spineless? How is it that these things actually make us strong, powerful, and courageous? Well, let's walk through these one by one. First, the love of God. Why is it that inspired by the Holy Spirit, Paul attached certain words with each member of the Trinity? Well, think about this. The love of God. What is it except what we read in the beginning, Genesis chapter one, that God, who is complete in and of himself, created you, created you in love to enjoy love with him in the mystery of the Trinity, that God created you. He created you, and as Psalm chapter eight tells us, he did so, and he made us the crown of his creation. He crowned mankind, not like fish or birds, but mankind with glory and honor. And what's more, our God throughout our life, he, he strengthens and preserves your daily life. He not only gives you a personality and gifts individually, he gives you his spirit who gives you gifts on top of that. And what is more, he sends his guardian angels to watch over you and to protect you. He gives you refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. And on top of that, well, he gives you your daily bread. Matthew chapter 6 tells us, Jesus teaching there says in that Sermon of the Mount, you don't need to worry. You don't need to worry about food or clothes. What does he say? He says, your father, your father in heaven knows you need these things. And his love, he gives them to you. That's God's love. And on top of all of that, think about this. We didn't deserve any of that. And yet, he gives that to us and his son. Romans chapter eight, God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? How is it that the doctrine of the Trinity impacts our character, shapes who we are and how we go about our day-to-day -day lives? How is it that the love of God does that? Well, here, here's an illustration of of how this plays out in real life. You maybe heard about this during the beginning of the pandemic. And since then, the back in the early centuries, when there were plagues going around in and around the Roman Empire, the Christians, this is a historical fact, Christians were the ones to care for those who were sick and suffering. Many other people left and would flee away from the plagues, but, but Christians stayed and they cared. You gotta ask yourself, why? Why did Christians do that? Is it because inherent in Christians is just this kind of bravery and valor that nobody else can access? Not really. Is it because like Christians have an immunity to disease? It's not true. Is it because Christians are somehow just better people? It's also not true. We're sinners, yet saints. Why is it that Christians stayed? It's because of the love of God. It's because, think about this, Christians knew the infinite and personal love of God. 
that the God of all creation who controls all things was providing for them on a day-to-day basis, that they could care for others out of love and know that someone greater was always caring for them. And if they should, and many times they did, succumb to the disease that they were caring for, they had a God of love who not only cares about the daily struggles, the sufferings, and the sicknesses that people undergo, Most of all, he cares about their salvation. And so he has worked all things together so that you would be with him forever in heaven. That's what Romans 8 follows up with. Now in all these things, what things? We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither height nor depth, neither angels nor demons, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How's your character? How's your day-to-day life impacted by the teaching of the Trinity that you have a God who is a God of love? It infuses every moment of your life with the knowledge that you are loved and beloved and cared for by the God who created all things. Ask yourself, how, how then do you go about suffering and disappointment? How do you go about things like like relationships and romance? How do you go about things like where you should live or, or what job you should have? You are able to enter into all of these areas with courage, not in a spineless, timid way, but with courage and power, knowing this is the God that you have. And all of these are yours, how? In Christ Jesus. That brings us to the second one. In the blessing here, Paul says, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. What is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? Well, one of my favorite ways to unpack this is with a excerpt from author David Zoll. You maybe know the idea of grace as love, and often it's broken down as undeserved love, but we can go a little further with that. Author, excuse me, Paul Zoll said this, the cliche definition of grace is unconditional love. And that is true, for it is a good description of the thing. But let's go further still. Grace is a love that has nothing to do with you, the beloved. It has everything and only to do with the lover. Grace is irrational in the sense that it has nothing to do with weights and measures. It has nothing to do with my intrinsic qualities or so-called gifts, whatever they may be. Grace reflects a decision on the part of the giver, the one who loves, in relation to the receiver, the one who is love, that negates any qualifications the receiver may personally hold. Grace is one-way love. We're asking the question, how do, how do teachings, how do the things that we believe impact our character and our day-to-day life? Well, think about what it means to know that you have God's one-way, unconditional love that we call grace. People who understand what they have in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ are absolutely free to deal with their sins and their struggles, to deal with their failures morally and personally 
because they are loved and forgiven by a God, regardless of your gifts or what you do with your gifts or what you do with your time or your talents. Think about how freeing that is and how unafraid Christians are able to live knowing that they have that unconditional love. Maybe to think, help us think it through, let's, uh, let's, let's take a uh, biblical teaching, a parable that Jesus gives, and let's write an alternate ending. You've heard the parable of the unmerciful servant. What happens in that parable is a servant who owed the master an infinite sum comes and says, I can't, I can't pay for this. And what happens? The master shows grace. One-way love. He forgives. He forgives the entire debt. And you know how that parable actually ends. It ends with that servant going out and choking another servant who owed a far lesser amount and saying, pay back everything you owe. But imagine, let's rewrite this. Imagine if that unmerciful servant actually realized the intimacy with which he had received grace, the immensity of the grace that he had received. Imagine if he, if he knew that, how he would go out and live. In our sermon this morning, we're really focusing on just the last verse of this text. But I imagine he'd go out and live like the very first verse of this text. He would go out rejoicing. He would go out praising God for everything that he had. And in all of his relationships with other servants, with other people, with people who owed him or people who had things held against him, he'd strive for full restoration, that, that everything in life would, would just be put in its right place. Okay, let's, let's make this personal. What would it look like if, if we just realized what we have in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, how would that impact our character and our lives? Oh, we could be so encouraging to others. We wouldn't criticize or, or judge because we know we've received one, one way love. On top of that, we'd be of one mind. We'd share with other people and strive to be united with others because we know what we've received in God. We have been united with the Father, someone we don't deserve to have look at us has now made his face shine on us. Your life, everything would be in peace. What does it mean that we confess the Trinity and we confess that we believe in a triune God who gives us his love in the Father and his grace in the Son? It means that our life is one filled with love and peace. It is one where we know what we have before God, that, that we have complete forgiveness, and that transcends into every nook and cranny of our lives, that with all our relationships, with our friends, we enjoy that forgiveness. With our enemies, we don't hold things against even them because of the forgiveness we've received. Received it how? Well, through the Holy Spirit working through the gospel. The last part of this blessing that God gives is that the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. How are we to understand that idea of what it means to have fellowship with the Holy Spirit? Well, there was a teacher, there was a teacher who taught 
young kids and would also have to go out for recess with the kids. She noticed one of her kids in particular didn't really engage at recess. The kid would kind of just sit along the fence line. And when all the other kids were swinging, she would go up to this kid and say, hey, would you like to go swing? He said, no, I'm kind of afraid of the swings. When all the other kids were playing hide-and-go-seek, she'd go up and say, hey, you want to play hide-and-go-seek? And he would say, no, no, I'm, I'm kind of afraid of, of hiding and getting lost. No matter what the kids were doing, this child was afraid. And, and this teacher didn't know what to do to help this kid who was doing fine in the classroom, who was, who was smart and kind. She didn't know what to do for him. And being a Christian, she, she didn't even know what to pray for at first. And she thought about it. And she prayed for a friend. This, this young kid in the early part of the school year would just make a friend. Because she knew that with a fellow classmate, with them and next to them, well, they wouldn't be afraid. They'd have somebody there to, to go and engage in all these activities with. So that was her prayer. And God answered that prayer. And a friend, not the teacher, a friend went over to that child and, and invited them to join in the activities. And wouldn't you know it, that they did. This isn't a crazy concept. You know this in your own lives. Husbands and wives, you know just how much it means if you have the support and the encouragement of, of just one person where your spouse's support means to you. Those of you who, who have a boss, you know just how much it means if, if that person, just one person, gives you their support and their encouragement. You have something better than that in the Holy Spirit. You have someone who, who comes alongside of you and allows you to live unafraid. <laughs> to put this in the context of the Trinity, just yesterday, I went to the swimming pool with my son, who is absolutely terrified to put his face into the water. And the father, me, tried to encourage him that you can do this. You can do this and you'll be all right. But it was to no avail. So I sat down poolside, and thankfully we had some friends there from the neighborhood who were playing with him. And wouldn't you know it, just five minutes into playing with a friend, a fellow, of the same age, my son was diving under the water, running through the pouring parts of the water, laughing and having fun because well, his friend came alongside of him, a fellow. That's the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. We're asking, how, how does the teaching, how does the doctrine of the Trinity impact our day-to-day -day lives? Ask yourself, what are you afraid of? Are you afraid to, to actually learn what God's word has to say? Maybe on some level we all are. But it is the Holy Spirit who enlightens us. It is the Holy Spirit that Jesus sent in order that we understand the goodness that God has in all of his commands. What are you afraid of? Maybe you're afraid of of being, being generous, of giving away the things that you have, whether it's time or money. It's the Holy Spirit who gives you all things. It's the Holy Spirit who gives you the gifts and the abilities to give and give away, knowing that he will supply all your needs. 
What are you afraid of? Are you afraid of being known? Being truly known? It's the Holy Spirit who forgives. It's the Holy Spirit who unites and forgives the Holy Christian Church and does that for you personally. Today is the first Sunday in June, and if I can make a connection to the very last Sunday in June, we'll note this, that June 25th is the birthday of the Lutheran Church. Why is that significant? Well, here's a little bit of history behind that. What had happened during the time of the Reformation is that Lutherans, the Reformers, and the Catholics, well, they had teachings that differed. And so the Holy Roman Emperor, King Charles, said, all right, guys, why don't we just come together and you guys can, well, tell me what you believe. And so it was that Martin Luther, Philip Melanchthon, and a group of reformers, they actually took time to write down doctrines and detail out very, very clearly and in longer form even than the Athanasian Creed what it is that, well, these reformers actually believed. But on the day of the presentation of the Augsburg Confession, which is what it's called, it wasn't Martin Luther, it wasn't any really theologian that got up and stood before the king to present what they believed. It was a group of Christian people. It was a group of Christian people that stood there and made a bold and anything but spineless confession of their faith. I say all that because today you and I we're not called upon to stand before kings to make our confession. But every single day, you are called to be bold and confess what God shares is true and good in his word. Maybe it's before a world or a coworker or friend that doesn't value God's word. Maybe it's just in your family. Maybe, maybe the boldness in the confession was just before yourself, the man in the mirror, the woman in the mirror, because you feel so pressure, so much pressure to not stand on those things. The words of Jesus cut and ring true that whoever denies me before my father, Jesus said, I'll deny you in heaven. But he follows that up with a promise. Whoever confesses me, whoever stands strong and, and boldly confesses me, I will confess them as mine before my Father in heaven. That blessing that Jesus speaks in those words is yours. It is yours in his name, the name of the triune God, who gives you grace through your Lord Jesus Christ, love in the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Amen.